Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Hey, everybody. Welcome to um, our time here with Mary DeLong. Very special session. Uh, we've done these in the past amongst the most popular sessions um, that we do, but we're going to cover with Mary the 2024 physician fee schedule, uh, the proposed Medicare cuts. You should know exactly what's in the proposal here and what you can do about them. Again, um, joined by the queen of compliance here, Mary DeLong and her daughter, uh, Alicia, so both with BCMS, and they'll be walking us through exactly what's in the proposal here. So you're in the right spot um, here. Do you have any questions or any concerns that you want to make sure that we answer today? If so, what you can do is just type in the chat and uh, Andrea will help us curate here and we'll have a time for Q&A um, that both Mary and I will stay on for here at the end. Awesome. So in our time here together, we're going to go through first what's in the proposed rule, um, how to forecast your 2024 profitability, and some interesting things here historically that uh, Mary's going to be sharing, and I'm going to uh, help you apply that to your practice as well. We're going to be walking through a profitability checklist, and I'll tell you exactly how we developed that and um, how we essentially got a blessing on that, and then opening up uh, a Q&A. So for those of you um, that are logged in right now, if and when you stay on um, until the end, I'll be sharing with you a pro forma template. This is going through a couple different iterations. This is the same exact tool that we're using in our practice and we're sharing with other owners as well to help them forecast forward exactly how to plan for uh, profitability or razor thin margins as we're looking at these um, yet again, another cut. So again, make sure you stay on to the end. Um, at this time, Mary, uh, audio is working well. Right. And you can take over here and I'll walk you, just tell me to click whenever you're ready for the next screen. I'm ready. Great. So about BCMS, yep, go right ahead. You know, I'm not gonna say a whole lot of time because this is precious time. What we do is practice specific compliance consultation. We have compliance programs, which include policies, procedures. We do on-site off audits, off-site audits. We do appeals, credentialing, enrollment, and educational presentations. And we would love to meet with you. Alicia is the person to go to about this. And we have a great staff, and we love working with, great, with Breakthrough. So... First, I, I do want to thank you again, uh, Chad, because of, of your belief that profit and compliance are compatible. Uh, also, you bring the you really bring the cutting edge best practice to therapists uh, throughout the country, and it is just a pleasure to be able to commingle our presentations as often as we do. Um, one thing I would I want to say before we really get into the agenda is at the very end, we have, and I have it at the top of the agenda, we've switched our arrangement a little bit, but our resources for you uh, to use um, for commenting on the rule or, or in legislative um, bills that are out there. Um, we have links to everything. Alicia will be putting those in at the, near the end of the presentation, so you have those. We do have them on the screen as well, but as you know, the, the links aren't live there. Um, so I encourage you, I implore that you make comments on these rules because without our voice, they just assume we are passive and don't care. So let's, uh, um, these are the items we're going to cover. One thing that we will not cover that is in the rules that impacts uh, some of you is MIPS. And it is very involved. It has uh, a number of additions. Uh, they have also some um, exemption deadlines that you need to be aware of, and those are available through the resources we have provided at the end. So uh, we will not be entertaining uh, comments on that. So again, there with with uh, these 
rules. It's the first time in a long time that we've been able to say we have something favorable to talk about. Usually we get chop, chop, chop and are not mentioned. And uh, I'm going to deal with the few negative factors that we have here. And then we're going to jump into the positive things and leave on a good note before I change. So this is a little bit of history for 2014 through the if the proposed rules go as they are um, projected. Our conversion factor, which is how we get paid, has decreased over these 10 years by 15%. But on a good note, the valuations have gone up for 30 to 30% uh, more. Uh, Revaluations over 60. But look at our interventions. Therapeutic exercise down 11. Neuromuscular re-ed down 2. Gate training went up 1. But, you know, when we do audits, we find that very few therapists even document gate training. So that's probably not very useful. Um, manual therapy, a walloping 12% reduction, while massage therapy had a 12% increase. You know, that happened a few years back and everybody decided to flip flop and call it massage therapy. And everybody got caught with their pants down when they got audited. So uh Stick with manual therapy. That's what we do for the most part. Um, nine, uh, nine, seven, five, three, oh, therapeutic activities. Wow. A whopping 3% increase, but it's better than a decrease. Okay, Chad. So let's hit the conversion factor. So for 2024, we're anticipating a 3.3% reduction from 2023. That's about a dollar 14 per unit depending upon how how what codes you use and that type of thing. Um, so that's one of the unfavorable things. Uh, last year, Congress jumped in and we had some draconian uh, reductions anticipated and they did go in and fund uh, about at 2.5%. Uh, so that did help offset those reductions. This year, they're not quite as generous. We're looking at about 1.25% uh, funding. Okay, so I didn't want to spend much time on the bad. We know it's there. Uh, we're probably not going to change that a whole lot. Maybe we can get funding from Congress at a higher level. So that would be a comment that you could possibly make on that. Um, comments uh, like it's not sustainable, you know. Uh, as long as you're positive when you make these comments uh, as much as you can be. So let's talk about the positive, the supervision of the physical therapist assistant. We were anticipating this come in, uh, coming in to the proposed rule for 24, uh, and indeed it did. Um, as we are looking for comments per Medicare, and they really want to see if they should change direct supervision for outpatient therapists of their therapy assistants. So again, they're asking for comments. They're not saying we're going to change. If we don't make a comment, if we don't really sell them the real reason and how important it is, then they may say, well, it's not important. So we do need to make sure that we address this. And they are in particular looking at quality of care, patient safety, utilization changes, those types of things. I think if we were to focus on improving access, patient access to our services would be a real good point. Um, stable uh, outcomes that we haven't seen our outcomes um, uh, decrease and um, stabilization of patient satisfaction. You know, when we talk about patient safety, I don't know what we're going to say. You know, what are we going to say like uh, well, no one's got hurt lately, you know, <laughs> so we want to make certain that we approach it from, again, the positive perspective. I did put a link, um, and Alicia will be putting all the links, as I said in the chat, um, to state regulations regarding supervision so that when you make your comments, you're accurate about what your state allows. Um, and personal experience is paramount, so please uh, tie that in. So let's look at telehealth service. So again, they are proposing to expand the definition of telehealth practitioners to include us. So that would be PTs, OTs, and speech and language pathologists. 
If that does not go through, we still have telehealth provisions through December 31st of 24. So we would have yet another um, opportunity to address this in proposed rules. Uh, one good thing is for some, well, it's a good thing for us, but for some of the practitioners, uh, the payment rate will be at the non-facility rate. Um, and for us, that's good because that's what we've been paid at, and it is higher than the facility rate. Um, so very important to uh, keep that facility rate in focus so that we will be paid at the op optimal uh, um, payment rate. Okay. The telehealth supervision, again, they're soliciting comments as to whether they should extend the defini definition of direct supervision and telehealth. And they're hitting on the same thing, quality, uh, patient safety, those types of things. So the comments you make for the supervision of physical therapist assistance would be germane to this as well. And you could certainly add those. Uh, hopefully they will extend this to uh, have virtual uh, supervision. And if so, then we're good to go. Let's look at, this is a really good code. This is a good situation. So we have three proposed codes by CMS for caregiver training and education. These would be applicable to uh, physicians, non-physician practitioners, and yes, to us. They didn't leave us out this time. So this would be the education of caregivers for a patient um, with the specific diseases and illnesses that would not allow the patient to be independent with carrying out their programs. And it would be under a plan of care. Um, these services, uh, again, would be uh, available to uh, therapists uh, under our plan of care. And the purpose is to really educate caregivers so that they um, can help the functional performance of a patient. Let's go to the next slide and we'll look at those codes. So there's three codes and all of these are face-to-face -face codes. Um, the first code is initial 30 minutes uh, with the patient does not have to be present. I guess they could be, but they don't have to be. And again, the, to facilitate the patient's functional performance in the home and the community. This is so important because as we're seeing more and more information on the stresses of caregivers, especially those that are family-based, um, they need to be educated. They need to know how to take care of themselves when they're doing these functions and taking care of while they are trying to facilitate the patient's uh, well-being and functional performance. Uh, so that first code is 30 minutes. The second code is an add-on. So if you go beyond your first 30 minutes, you do have the opportunity to add it on in 15-minute increments. And the third code is group caregiver education and training. And this is when you may have multiple family members. Maybe they're going to rotate uh, the care, uh, you know, care provision. Uh, maybe it's uh, different shifts, that type of thing. But they are not discounting it in any way uh, if it's a group. Um, and, but it's a group of caregiver, not a group of patients. So it's, again, just for one patient. And these are face-to-face -face codes. Okay. Um, Misvalued codes. Okay, well, Chad and I could go on about this forever. <laughs> we all know that our codes have definitely been misvalued. The whole system needs uh, renovation. Um, but through the advocacy of our associations, and I do have to applaud this for this, the uh, APTA, o AOTA, and ASHA uh, in collaboration had brought this to the attention of CMS, stating that we had a number of codes. And, and the literature is very good. The support statements are very strong. Um, and they have stated that MPPR is, uh, has been misapplied. And so they are considering nominating uh, 
19 different codes that are therapy applicable for uh, exemption from MPPR. So for those of you who are not familiar with MPPR, it's a 50% reduction of the practice expense. So it's not the whole value of the code, but if you do that, and that's for every code after the first or the highest paid code, uh, we're talking about, you know, some money. It's not gigantic, but it's a start. So, and what's in, what's amazing is it's not these codes that we never use. It includes some of our major interventions like exercise and therapeutic activities, manual therapy, um, you know, uh, neuromuscular re-ed. So very important to comment. The con comment should be thank you first. Thank you for uh, looking at this for the reconsideration and, um, you know, anything you can add as uh, uh, a personal comment. Again, a lot of the tips and cues that are presented in the um, uh, the resources that we have uh, might help you if you would like to um, uh look at those. I am seeing a lot of questions pop up. And I think what we didn't tell you is that we are going to hold those questions to the end so we can get through. Um, so if you uh, just will be patient, uh, we appreciate your comments and we'll definitely get to them. Uh, just uh, to uh, remind you that, of course, we're going to have a <clears throat> An update of the KX modifier threshold. It's now going to be 2330 for PT and speech. We were hoping to get PT and then speech and then OT, but you know, maybe we could uh, increase if we are going to make a comment on the threshold, reiterate that was a comma, a misplaced comma. <laughs> Please consider us individually. Anyway, it's about a $100 increase, uh, which is good. That's about a visit. Um, the targeted medical review is still at 3000 and that will stay that way until 2028. Um, remember, that threshold is not an automatic audit like it used to be. It is an audit that occurs because there have been other indicators of aberrant billing or behavior. So just because you hit 3,000, don't think you have to stop. Please do not terminate your patients uh, when they hit the KX threshold or the 3,000 if it's medically necessary. And finally, we're going to get to provider enrollment. Medicare has <clears throat> um, uh, modified and, and added policies on Medicare enrollment. Medicare enrollment is a big fraud and abuse tool for them. And they need to make sure we are where we are and we, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing <clears throat> per what we relate on the enrollment application. They are reiterating that we must report any changes in practice locations. So that means if you add, if you delete, uh, or even if you change a suite, uh, you do need to report those within 30 days. This is a great opportunity for you to ask for consideration of extending the retroactive billing period um, to match or at least to better align itself with the turnaround time of the max for um, confirming applications. Right now, we have a 30-day retroactive period, and that worked fine during the pandemic because they were under expedited enrollment um, uh, requirements and we usually saw those enrollments within 30 not within three weeks uh, they now because the waivers have been discontinued are resuming their normal uh, turnaround time and that could be up to 60 even 90 days so that would mean we'd have a couple of months without payment uh, with somebody sitting on our staff that wasn't enrolled and do remember enrollment is mandatory if you're going to bill Medicare uh, with very few exceptions. So to kind of wrap this up, um, if you want to provide comments on the rule, please don't leave it to someone else. Submit your comments, okay? Uh, Chad, next slide. <clears throat>
we have a comment tool. The APTA has made this available to the public and to non-members. And it's a great tool for those of you who want to draft your own comments. It, it has a format for you. Uh, you will still have to submit your comments, unlike the templated ones. You'll submit it to this uh, link. But it really is a very good tool. And they will send the response um, email to you. Uh, so make sure you look, watch uh, for your spam folder. Comments are due by September 11th. And we have next comment, next uh, slide. These are other these are other options for you: Patient Action Center, Regulatory Action Center, <clears throat> and the Advocacy Group. All are those are all links. Alicia's putting in the chat box and have just ton of information. And finally, next slide, please. There's legislation, even though we have information on assistant supervision. Um, well, let's turn off that. Uh, we want to uh, support the Empower Act. Locum tenens is not in the rules, but this is uh, allows us to have the supervision. I mean, the uh, treatment by a non-enrolled therapist on a uh, temporary basis. And telehealth, again, expanding telehealth access just reinforces what the rule is saying. More information. We have all these links for you. Please do comment. I encourage you to comment. And there are so many resources. And now I'm going to turn it over to Chad. I'm sitting 25 seconds over my time. You <laughs> did amazing. Uh, and it, it's always a pleasure. I very much appreciate your professionalism and also the thoroughness uh, of, of which you cover this for us and keep us compliant here. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. Oh, I forgot to tell you about that. This is a giveaway and it's bonus material and it tells you what the waiver, what the waivers were and um, where they stand right now and if they're a, a final policy. So that is going to be in your um, in your chat box as well. Great. And just one uh, for everybody, I know we have quite a few people on here. Um, Alicia has been absolutely crushing it in the chat box sharing a ton of resources for you. So if you don't have your chat box open, make sure you click on that and uh, you can click on and download those resources, essentially absolutely everything that Mary um, just covered here um, during her presentation. We can get says, small back. This says Mary is the, the queen of compliance. Oh. Is it? <laughs> and uh, yeah, just absolutely owns compliance and uh, physical. No. And also, uh, you want to write this down, and Alicia, if you can put that in, um, you know, the chat as well, uh, Alicia's email and uh, contact number also for questions or follow-up that you have that we, we don't have time to get here. Yeah. Great. And yeah, make sure you check out BCMS, bcmscomp.com. Yeah, so there's a poll going to come up on your screen right now if you're interested in learning more about BCMS. Uh, by the way, just full transparency here while you're filling that out, just simply click yes or no. Um, in my private practice, Manny Gilbert Physical Therapy, Mary and Alicia have been here to our office. We've done the uh, full compliance audit. I forget what it's called, but I know uh, you, you were here, Mary, um, did lots of training for us um, and the, the, I've shared this a few times now, but um, we were audited by Medicare and we actually got money back from Medicare, which is very, very rare um, in private practice. So not only did we survive the audit, we didn't owe anything. Medicare actually gave us uh, a little bit of money back as well. And that would have not been possible um, if it weren't for Mary and Alicia and the rest of the BCMS team. Thank you. All right. So uh, I, I want to break this down and just really quick in the chat log. So I literally looked at this this morning. If we go back to um, 1994 and we look at that uh, Medicare conversion factor, do you think, well, how much higher do you think we are today in 2023 in dollars? Let's say, dollar, you know, we're at uh, a little over $33 right now in terms of the conversion factor. And if we go back to 1994, do you think we were higher or lower? And how much higher or lower do you think we were? Just type it in the chat. 
just looking for your your gut feel. 1994, I was a, a junior in, in high school, by the way. 11% lower, that, that was from Mary Slide 2015, $6 less, higher, about the same, 32% lower, much lower, higher, same, higher. Okay, great. So we're, we're lower today than we were in 1994. That is pretty wild if you think about it. And Mary, there was a really good question came in uh, from, I believe, Luke around, that's not counting for inflation, right? There's no inflation adjustment. That is just a straight, uh, the conversion factor is what it is. There, there's no adjustment for inflation, correct? Uh, no, not at this point. Yeah, yeah. So uh, th th that's real dollars without, um, and we know the dollar is about half the value of what it was in 1994. So uh, pretty depressing. So decreased reimbursement, you, you've seen the 3.34% that's proposed in 2024. We have increased employment expenses and other costs. Um, you know, what has that left us with dramatically shrinking profitability? In 2017, 2018, I believe our mutual colleague, uh, Bob Kowalik, shared that in within physical therapy, private practice, the average margin was about 14.6%. We now see, at least here in 2023, that on average, it's less than 10%, which is really like the Mendoza line for, that's a bad point for us as service-based business. Um, it means that most of us are in jeopardy. Um, and the other thing that we see, and I just saw another post on this this morning, you know, physical therapists, clinicians leaving private practice, outpatient orthopedics uh, for hospital and healthcare systems. Um, what challenges is this leading to from literally talking with hundreds of you? Um, you know, we're earning less revenue from each patient. We have an overall increase in expenses. We're understaffed. It's really tough to hire and retain. So if we have 3,000 square feet, I know many of us are trying to fill up that 3,000 square feet, and it's tough to do that when we're losing staff. Um, you know, so we end up with underutilized space, and we have razor-thin margins. And it's it's difficult. It's challenging to be profitable in these market situations it, it, and market conditions. It doesn't mean that it's impossible, but it's definitely a challenge. And really what that means is we're all faced with the same challenge. And that anytime that you see that we're, we're all facing the same obstacle, the environment's really challenging. It means that we have a unique opportunity uh, to separate ourselves from the crowd. So I talked about this uh, very briefly in the beginning. We're going to share this tool uh, with you here at the end, uh, in addition to some other tools. But this is the most important one. It all starts with this. So this is called a pro forma. And what it is, is you can go through, take a look at your profit and loss statements from the past, the last two or three years, and forecast forward how the proposal would affect you in 2024. Right. So um, you can see in 2022 in this hypothetical practice doing a million dollars in revenue. This is an average of the assumption here is $90 a visit with the cuts that happened in 2023. We had a step backwards and then the proposed cuts. Again, this is a practice that is staying relatively consistent uh, in terms of their their visit flow. But you see the dramatic effect that that has on gross revenue. Unfortunately, for most of us, that is nearly one that. 3.34% reduction is nearly 100% profitability, right? So it, it eats directly away at our margins because our employment expenses aren't going down. Our billing expenses aren't going down. The marketing costs, this our, the cost of our space, the office expense, clinic expenses, they're not going down um, it, it, in relation to the, you know, the Medicare reimbursements or insurance reimbursements. So what you can do is go through these two steps. You can estimate your revenues going forward. You can evaluate your cost. And this is really step one, right? So uh, what you can do, you start with this foundational step. And then what it does is it'll open up the doors for, you know, how are you going to navigate here in 2024? And all of our um, practices are different. But what we did is we took this applied it to our practice. Is there, we're missing all the build out. Great. So I'm going to give these to you um, off the top of my head right now. But in terms of uh, 
we had 11 factors that we're looking for, and I can share this with you um, afterwards as well. But what we did, and by the way, I, I cross-referenced this with um, the former CEO of uh, Dreyer Physical Therapy when they had 160 plus clinics. Um, yeah, his name's Eric Williams, absolutely amazing uh, history and career in private practice physical therapy and upper level um, management. I cross-checked our profitability checklist with him. And here are some of the key takeaways. And, and he completely agreed that we were looking at this the right way for our private practice. Number one is we want to increase utilization. So that means filling up our schedules, right? So if we are missing out on patients who are not compliant, not sticking with their treatment plan, or they're dropping off of their treatment plan, uh, that, that is a major blow to our profitability. Um, the other thing is filling up our space, right? If we have two clinicians and 3,000 square feet, that's a lot of space cost per clinician versus, you know, having for us, that would be six clinicians and 3,000 square feet. So we want to make sure that for our fixed um, and variable expenses that we're realizing, you know, the maximum utilization. Uh, the next thing that we can do is we can take a look at our insurance contracts. And we've done a lot of uh, webinars uh, on, you know, how to renegotiate rates, how to drop a lowest payer, how to um, attract more of your, your top payer. The third one, the third category would be increasing lifetime patient value. So increasing uh, cash pay sales, which many of us are, you know, going through right now, whether it's, you know, small group fitness or laser or supplements, whatever you're thinking about doing in terms of uh, there are many options and other practices that have successfully added cash pay services. Um, but there's a lot that we can do with life, lifetime patient value, reactivations, getting more word of mouth referrals, um, et cetera. So again, starts with the pro forma, and then you look at those 11 or 12 specific steps for what you can do um, again to navigate get another cut. So there can be quite a bit, and I know I went through that really quick. Mary just shared a ton of information with you regarding uh, the, the proposal and the, uh, and by the way, just out of curiosity, Mary, how likely are we to experience another cut based on uh, the, the last few years? If you had to give oh, it, now, where is my crystal ball? Yeah. Um, until there's a reform, I think it's there, but we have to keep inching away at things that will bring money to the table or to decrease our cost. Yeah. And we'll open this up for your Q&A right now. And I'm 60 seconds under. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> We're both beating our targets. Great. So um, we've been curating all of the questions. Um, thank you, everyone, for your participation and for submitting questions. So we'll start rolling through them um, just in the order that we've been getting them. So um, the first question was from Marino Physiotherapy. Are these regular cuts for everyone or are cuts from, from rehab funds getting distributed to the docs again? <laughs> well, um, we have budget neutrality. And that's a requirement by law. <laughs> so if you take from one, you give to the other and vice versa. Um, PTs are not the only ones. There are physicians, specialists who have uh, had cuts and whatever. But as long as we have budget neutrality, we will have a give and take. And unless we speak up, and unless we get creative, you know, we might be cut more. Awesome. Thank you. Um, Kay asked, how do we survive this? Are there scenarios to maximize reimbursements while attempting to stay within the regulations? Who is that to? Either of you. Well, I think uh, Alicia probably can answer that if she if you spend about 10 or 15 minutes with her. Uh, compliance does cost. It does. But not being compliant costs more. And Chad can tell you uh, just his story that he was talking about how if you are proactive, if you involve yourself in a good compliance program, if, if it can be itself uh, moderated, 
and customized. If you do um, audits, those types of things, find out what you're doing uh, that could be improved to keep you out of the radar. There's so many things uh, and education, education, education. <clears throat> yeah. So the, the a simple way to think about this in a hypothetical scenario, and that question was from Kay. Is that right, Andrew? Yes. Yeah. So, Kay, just think about who your best payer is, right? And I'll say it's insurance company B, right? Just to keep this copacetic. If they're if they represent maybe twenty five percent of your payer mix right now. You know, that, that's fair. You know where you're at today. But imagine in the future, if you could have a scenario where you created enough demand for your services that they were 100% of the, the payer mix that you're seeing, would you be more profitable? Going through that tool, the obvious answer for most of us is yes, absolutely. So, you know, we're going to have to get more discerning. I know for most of us as physical therapists um, and as healthcare clinicians, we're very much relationship oriented. We would see, you know, there, there's a lot that most of us would do in terms of seeing patients for free or, you know, giving every staff and team member whatever raise that they're looking for, right? And that's what gets many of us in trouble. The other end of the spectrum is thinking about there's there's uh, survivability of our business. And in order to do that, we really have to look at numbers, which most of us um, struggle to do right? Just by nature of, of who we are. So really taking a look at that, imagining, okay, so I can't get to hundred percent of insurance company B, but maybe I can get to go from 25 to 50% and significantly improve my payer mix and therefore my revenue per visit per patient visit as well. And that's how I'm going to stay ahead of the trend and maintain that, you know, safety, uh, safety of margin. I think one, oh, I'm sorry. I think one thing too, for us to consider is uh, fighting for opting out of Medicare. Uh, if we can opt out of Medicare, then we can charge our usual and customary rates uh, as we would for cash-based patients. And right now we're not included in that. That is not part of the proposed rule, but it is legislation uh, out there, although it's uh, not well-defined in my opinion. But I think uh consider that and do do your homework on that so you can again voice opinion. Great point. Great, thank you. Um we had someone ask what is the conversion factor? Do you do you have time to give just a brief uh, I can tell you kind of quickly. So Medicare payments are determined by relative value units. So each CPT code or HIPAA code has a, a component. There's three components, actually. It's uh, physician work, um, practice expense, and malpractice. And so those are all put together when they determine what the value of that uh, CPT code is going to be. Then there is a dollar value. That's the conversion factor that is multiplied. So you're going to have this, this uh, unit that there is a fee for, and then they're saying, oh, overall for this year, this is what the conversion factor is, and it's a multiple. So that that's it in this quickest way as I can explain it. Thank you. <laughs> um, David, another kind of like definition question. David asked, what is the definition of facility versus out-of-facility payment? Facilities typically are uh, uh, institutions. Uh, and I know a lot of us think the institutions always get paid more, um, but there are facility rates and non-facility rates established by Medicare. A non-facility rate um, pays more because there's more overhead for the individual practice. And that's how it was set up. So um, we have had the good fortune to be a non-facility uh, you know, payment recipient. And so we get better payment that way. Thank you. Um, someone asked, did I hear that telehealth pays more than in-house treatment? No, it does not pay more. Okay. I think it was just like um, reimbursements for telehealth were going up, right? Uh, they should be at the allowed rate that we have. So that is not, that's not uh, 
accurate to the best of my knowledge. Okay. Um, when two Medicare replacement PTs are seen at the same time, do we need to reduce our billable units? Replacement, are you talking about Medicare Advantage? I'm assuming that's what they are. All payers have to adhere to HIPAA, and HIPAA states that you have to adhere to the current definition of CPT codes. So that means commercials, uh, your federal payers, your Medicare Advantage payers, uh, all of those have to utilize the current definition of the code. If the code says one-on-one, -on -one, then that means you must treat that patient one-on-one. -on -one. It is not a Medicare um, policy. It is a HIPAA policy that impacts now workers' comp, um, uh, disability, and some self-insurers uh, are not considered um, payers. And so that would not apply to them. <clears throat> Got it. Thank you. Um, so there's a question on cash-based services. Can we market cash-based services to Medicare patients? For example, group exercise, dry needling. Um, the patient, Medicare requires uh, submission of claims. That is the law. And so if you are trying to solicit uh, cash-based patient services, um, it would have to be for services that are not covered by Medicare. Uh, I'd be very careful about advertising that. The OIG has some opinions about advertising um, for those services, but again, they're not paid by Medicare. Uh, you can't, um, I think the best thing that you could do is use caution in your marketing. Um, as to these services are available in state. However, they are not a covered service by Medicare. Instead of saying, hey, come and get it, you can pay cash, you know, that type of thing. You have anything to add to that, Chad? Mary is completely right. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I mean, an example would be um, it, so we have like forced lasers we provide that as a treatment it is not it, it's a non-covered uh treatment by mm -hmm. Medicare. so we can offer that with a cash pay rate we're not doing anything that you know is a red flag there's no flashing lights going come and, and have a laser treatment or we'll give you laser treatments at a discount or what, what those types of things just cautious good prudent judgment on your marketing Great, thank you. Um, let's see. Um, we have one question from Jeremy. How do you get started with renegotiating contracts with insurance providers? Um, I think Chad can probably weigh in some care. Yeah, we, we did a another online training just like this, and then it's part of the course with uh, Tony Sear. He walked through, I know off the top of my head, he was able to get um, one insurance company, we'll go with insurance company B again. He They had uh, three consecutive 10% annual raises negotiated, which I've never heard of before. So it was 10% in year one, 10% in year two, 10% in year three for a total of you know a 33% increase. And uh, we've shared templates and everything else um, for owners. Yeah, I, I would just defer to that. Um, yeah, we have a lot of resources on that. Great. Thank you. Um, Kimberly asked, is Medicare concerned about, about lack of care? Uh, well, we would like to think since that is, uh, you know, the business they're in that they would want to give optimal access. Uh, I think this, um, I, I don't want to say that. I think the thing to understand is that patients are pushing access. I need more access. Uh, we can't get to therapy. We can't get this service. We can't get this test, these types of things. So I think that uh, Medicare, yes, is concerned about patient access. Um, and it's driven, I believe, by patient comments and complaints. This is my opinion. I have nothing 
uh, in concrete to support that. <clears throat> you, you have experience to support that. And yes. And I, I did hear uh, probably about 10 years ago from somebody that I considered very reputable that we'll continue to get squeezed until patients can't take it anymore because it impacts them. And that makes sense. So there's a question from David. Um, is it a done deal, done deal about the MPPR going away for the key CPT codes? Or is it still under consideration? It's under consideration. It's going to go to the RUC and they will be looking at this. I think it sounds very probable, but as soon as I do that, it's almost like I put a, <laughs> I put a uh, you know, hex on it. So, you know, it looks good. They've identified 19 codes. To me, that means they're not just saying, okay, we'll look at codes. So, uh, and as I said, the support information, I'd really encourage you to read what has been written about that. It, it's uh, it's something that uh, is, is quite sound. Thanks. Next question is from Jeff. Um, not sure if either of you will be able to answer this one. How much more do hospital-based facilities get paid over private practice? I've heard three times as much. Oh, well, I can't. I know what you're talking about because we do hear uh, many times that hospitals can bill for much more than private practices. I haven't seen those fee schedules, um, so I can't attest to that. Um, we do know that that had that's a little different than the facility based and the non facility based um, payment. I'll, I'll I can share this. Um, we had owners through Breakthrough who had shared that three times as much. Mm -hmm. I, I kind of thought it was like an urban myth. I've had patients here locally bring an EOB in. They were my family mm -hmm. <laughs> who had been through the hospital um, PT outpatient for whatever uh, services they might have needed. Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen the EOB for a four code visit. $318 reimbursement. They billed $1,200 for the visit. Um, I, I've seen that now. So that isn't, yeah. and I, I have a copy of it and every, I just, I can't share it publicly, but yeah, I saw it for myself and I was like, wow. Sure. And, and difference between I did personally experience that when I switched from a PT uh, clinic to a, a hospital-based PT clinic. Um, you know, I was in the middle of uh, a total knee uh, rehab and uh, the prices were astronomical. But these that the non-covered, the facility and non-facility codes um, that we're talking about really relate to telehealth and how it's priced. Uh, there was a question on MIPS and how does MIPS play into the 2024 cuts? I think you said you have some resources on that. That you that yeah. When you go to the physician fee schedule, and if you look at the information the APTA has put out, they go into great detail about MIPS, and so it's going to be in those resources. Without looking back at my slides, I can't tell you exactly which one, but if you if you uh, look at those resources, I think you'll find that. Great. So yes, we we will be emailing out after the webinar a link to the recording of this webinar, as well as all of the resources that Mary has mentioned. Um, and then I know we said we would share the pro forma tool at the end. So I'm going to drop um, the link to that um, in the chat right now. And um, Chad, I don't know if there's time for you to like go over how to use that at all right now? That'd be pretty tough. I, I think it more important, uh, how about some love for uh, Mary and Alicia and Andrea in the chat box for all the links and information that they brought here? Thanks, Chad. And yes, thank you so much, Mary and Alicia for sharing all of your in-depth knowledge. Um, 
Yeah, for those, I see a lot of people are going into the pro forma tool right now. It's an editable tool. What you can do is go um, click on file and then make a copy. And then that'll create a version that you can edit yourself um, to put in your own numbers. Awesome. Um, and yeah, any final any final comments, Chad or Mary? No. I just I encourage you to to write your comments. Yeah, I, I'd go with a one-two punch. Every everything that Mary and Alicia shared with you in terms of ad, advocacy, and you know, talking with anybody who can influence whether that proposal goes through or not, or you know, any other component of what um, Mary said in terms of potential uh, legislation that can be passed. Yes, do that. That's punch number one. Punch number two is focus on controlling what you can control, whether it's a payer mix or renegotiating rates or dropping a payer, um, adding, you know, lifetime patient value, maximizing utilization of your space and personnel. I think, you know, ultimately when we do this again a year from now, we're going to have some practices that took steps in both directions and they're, they're the practices that are going to be in the best, the healthiest situation in the future. Thank you again, both. What's your strategy for boosting your profit margins? In the current industry landscape, margins are slim due to declining reimbursements and the rising cost of doing business. Breakthrough has just released a new course, Profitability Under Pressure. This 13-week masterclass focuses on five key areas in your practice that can help you increase your profits. We'll guide you through creating a financial plan, which is a step overlooked by many other practices. You'll also learn how to renegotiate insurance contracts, evaluate whether cutting ties with lower payers is beneficial, and how to add cash pay services to improve your lifetime patient value. By the end of this course, you'll have improved control over your profit margins and a clear roadmap for future growth. This program is exclusively for private practice owners. You must apply to be accepted. No hops or pops practices. Click the link below to get started. Remember to visit GetBreakthrough.com to access our free resource library designed specifically for private practice growth. While you're there, make sure you register for a complimentary growth assessment to learn about potential opportunities for growth in your local market. Again, thank you for tuning into the Grow Your Practice podcast and supporting our mission to help people in pain get back to normal naturally.